0: Taking place in Boston from October 25th through the 28th, this program focuses on business expansion and organizational growth strategies that can lead your company into the future. Learn more about this three-day program for senior leaders by visiting hbs.me slash growth. That's hbs.me slash growth. You are locked on jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. It is locked on Jazz for the 5th of October. Can we take anything from preseason game number two? Maybe not. Some players did shine. What does it mean for roster rotation and composition? Plus, what Clay Thompson said should scare jazz fans. We'll look at all that, plus, take your questions on a Facebook Live edition of Locked on Jazz. How are you? I'm David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA Insider. Glad to be with you. Thanks very much for tuning in and joining the program, both on the podcast version and the live version on Facebook Live, as we do Thursday, Facebook Live edition of the show uh, we'll touch on a bunch of things one note for you uh, both we are utahjazz.com which is going away at some point that's kind of the concept here and we'll integrate it and locked have empty the noggin for you the new podcast Utah Jazz Radio has Quinn Snyder's coaches show as well as uh, full play-by-play of the game the other day I'm not sure you need that Um, that wasn't a good one. So I'm, I'm not sure you need the full play by play or do you need to hear me mispronouncing Israeli names the whole time? Um, you know, up, up to you. Uh, but probably something, uh, that you don't, don't have to hear. So thank you very much for tuning in. Uh, today's show, not sponsored. Just me and you. Just me and you chilling, I think. Hope I'm not forgetting a sponsor today. Uh so feel free if you'd like to advertise in the program, this is for the time being. Uh we have some open inventory and we'd love to have you aboard. So uh feel free to uh give me a uh email at Dlock09 at gmail dot com. I've got some um, I've got some things coming up so i'm not sure how much time how much inventory we have but that's good i still we'd like to have you aboard so uh dlock09 at gmail.com all right let's um let's jump on a bunch of items for you on the show today and then get to your questions first off i I just can't take a lot from that one uh there are some teams there's some guys who played well i think that's important and the jazz shot the three well and that's probably important but that team was terrible um, you know, the Sydney Kings were actually a much better challenge in the sense I thought the Sydney Kings at least ran some stuff and put the put the Jazz in positions where they had to do some things. Go bear had to go out on the floor and guard Perry Ellis. They ran some things. The Jazz blew up everything this team was doing and at at such a rate that I, I didn't think it was much of a challenge, and I'm not sure that when Quinn goes back and looks at, looks at the film, he's going to get a huge amount from it. One of the major things the Jazz really wanted to work on was communication on dribble handoffs. Dribble handoffs a very difficult play to guard. Uh, if you just kind of think about it, the guy's handing the ball to the ball handler or to the to the new ball handler. It's really kind of a pick and roll, right? But it's not because it's it's the same action as if the is if you think about it from a Jazz standpoint. So let's assume that. Um, Joe Ingles is coming, Rudy Gobert's at the elbow. Joe Ingles is coming to get the ball, and you hand it to him. At that point, it's kind of a pick and roll. It's really no different than a pick and roll. Very difficult to guard. If the defender's trailing, Joe turns the corner and can get to the basket unless that big pops out and blocks him, which you know stops at which point then Rudy can roll and there's no one to help. it's um, why the Jazz run so many of them. It's at the same time, if you're defending and you try to go under, which is basically the same as on picker, except for the fact that you have the big, the defender, and your two, your two guys removed from the ball at that point. So what your big has to do is really back up and let you slide through next to the ball handler so you can try to cut off. Um, so you can try to cut him off. I don't know if this all makes sense, but that was a huge area of focus uh, for the Jazz and... Uh, in that game, and I I didn't get to see them. I mean, they got to do it some, but they were so good at it, and this team didn't have the – and they had guys who were just shooting every time that they didn't gain – you didn't gain a lot from it. Uh, So, you know, so we'll – that's that's the unfortunate reality is I'm not sure the Jazz got a huge amount out of that one. Uh, What was exciting is I thought the play of three players in particular and some other guys played well, but let's go to those three. I don't know this, I haven't, I haven't really talked to anyone about it, but the way I look at the roster, you've got guys you know are on the roster, right? So you've got probably 13 guys you know are on the roster. I'm pretty comfortable with Neto being on the roster. So then we're at two guys, Joel Ballenboy is 15 and Royce O'Neill is 16. There's only 15 guys. Nate Walters and Eric Griffin are on two-way deals. So they're not really, I mean, if they were so great, they could it could change. Um, and I don't know the rule on two-way deal if somebody can steal them. I don't think somebody can take your two-way player and give them a full-time deal. So there's really no incentive for the Jazz to do that until they, until they use them on the 45 days it's allowed. So you, you end up with a kind of an interesting circumstance that basically Joel Ballenboy and Royce O'Neal are battling for a roster spot, it feels like, and they were both great last night. Uh, Royce O'Neal is someone you probably haven't heard a lot about, but if you dig in a little bit, he played at Baylor, and then he went to Europe for the last two years, and has been a a a stat box box score stuffer. Um, it, it really who he is. He started his career at the University of Denver, and then went to Baylor for two years, and then he doesn't get selected in 2015. So he plays in Germany. He averages eight points, five rebounds played for the Warriors Summer League in 2016, and then signed in Europe uh, with a Lithuanian club uh, and did kind of the same thing, put up those same kind of numbers. He's just a guy who seems to, uh, who puts, just fills the box score. And he's six six. He's 215, he's a good passer, he's a solid rebounder, and a little bit of the question on him is, can he shoot well enough? Well, he went three for three from three and looked really smooth. Um, and, and he did exactly kind of what we're talking about. He had five rebounds, he had three assists, he had, he had nine points, he had a steal, he had a block. That's really who he is. I have had scouts tell me if this guy can knock down his three, not just is he an NBA player, but he's a rotation player, uh in the nba so uh he he that was a big day for him uh and hopefully you know for his case it's a sign of things to come he he, he's an interesting guy and i think i don't know if fans really realize it but i think he has a real chance to possibly make this roster now if he does it means that joel ballon is suddenly in jeopardy. And Joel might have been in jeopardy a little bit when they drafted Tony Bradley, though I think Joel's probably more of a four, though they have Jarebko and Joe Johnson on this roster. Um, The other is Joel is trying to figure out his game. He had a really tough summer league but played great last night. Um, He showed dribble some plays off the bounce. He hit two threes. He had four rebounds. He had a block. He showed that activity level. So there were a lot of things that were really good for Joel Ballenboy. And I think one of the things I think's really fun about this is when you have a guy like Royce O'Neal and a guy like Joel, Joel, Ball, Joel Ballenboy trying to make a roster and they play as well as they just did. That's pretty cool. I mean, both those guys kind of can go home tonight and say, or last night and say, okay, I gave everything I had. I put it out there pretty well. I was, I played what, let's keep it going. And, and we'll be interesting to see how much time they get against Phoenix in the next two and against the Lakers after that because, uh, I, I think that that's, you know, it's hard. You're, you're, with five preseason games is all, it's a very difficult thing for, the Jazz to be able to try to play O'Neal and Ball and Boy, get them time to see who fits the best, simultaneously getting the team ready. So it's it's a complicated little endeavor for the Jazz, uh, right there. So, but I love the fact they both played well. I, I think that's the that's the best part about it. The other guy who continues to play well is Alec Burks. Um, a B last night. Played twenty three minutes, was five of seven from the field, five of seven from or three of seven from the free throw line. None of these stats are official, by the way. A stats NBA stat system is a disaster right now. Um, three of three from three. He had eight rebounds. He had two assists. He had a block. Really played well. Played in control. Played more mature. Quinn Snyder had the quote of the night post game where he said, "Hey, Bowler calls him Houdini, but that's not an easy way to live." And uh, I, I thought he was. I thought he was terrific. So, um, very excited to see that. Uh, the other one I would point out was cool last night was the passing. Axum has six assists. Walters has three assists. Burks has two. O'Neal has three. Rubio has five. Ingles has four. Cephalosha has three. The passing by the Jazz was terrific last night. Thirty-one assists on their forty-two field goals. Um against an inferior team. So again, I, I don't want to take a lot out of it, but I thought those those were the three takeaways. The playoff the the roster spot battle was great. Both teams played super. Alec Burks continues to play well, and I don't know where his rotation minutes come from. And uh, but he, he's establishing himself as a guy who's healthy, playing well, and, pro- and is a great option to have out on the floor. It's gonna He's going to push Axum who's playing super. Dante dominated for a little while this game last night, uh, and Donovan Mitchell didn't play. So uh, really, I think there's some chance we may see some small lineups by the Jazz, which is a little different than the way they've been built, but the players are forcing it where A.B., Exum and Rubio could all be on the floor at the same time. Or, you know, really AB sliding to a three for some of it could be Exum sliding three or whomever or Rodney sliding to the three. But there's some chances there where I think there's that maybe AB is going to work his way into the rotation that in that manner. Uh, The other one rotation wise we're seeing that I think is interesting is so favors is playing and I don't know if we have play by play to get into this. But we'll have to keep an eye on this. Uh, Favors is playing up to about the six-minute mark. And then Jarebko last night came in for him. Joe Johnson comes in for him. Favors re-enters the game then at about the two-minute mark. So he sits for four minutes as the center. And then Rudy re-enters the game after playing ten minutes in the first quarter, probably around... The seven minute mark, so that he is playing uh, so he ends up playing in a regular nBA game uh ten plus thirty four minutes, so Rudy would reenter right about that point and favors then comes out and so if what you 're seeing right now and depending on that there's a chance. The Jazz are only playing twelve minutes a night with Gobert and Favors together. Now we'll see whether Derek can sit there because if Derek, you know, when Rudy, if you do the math here, Derek plays six minutes, he sits, he comes back in for and plays then seven minutes as the center, so he's playing. 13 minutes at that point he probably could play up to 30 if he's healthy but 26 is not a bad number for him so he has about four more minutes he could play and he could re-enter the game for two more minutes in each half but let's so so let's say he does that and he gets up to 30 minutes a night he would play sorry there's there is this is going somewhere it may not seem like it right now so if he's playing 30 minutes a night it looks to me as though he's playing about 16 of them with Gobert and 14 without. If he's playing 16 with Gobert, then that means the Jazz have 32 minutes a night in which they're playing a a stretch four. Jarebko and Joe Johnson split those 32 minutes. It's not going to be all Joe Johnson at 32 minutes. It's probably going to be about 22 minutes of Joe Johnson and 10 minutes of Jerebko or something of that sort. And maybe even stretching that a little bit more if uh, if it gets up to 36 minutes. So that's, I think, one of the rotation things that Jerebko and... I saw somebody say, I don't think Terebko's going to make the rotation. Terebko's going to make the rotation. He and Joe Johnson are going to split those stretch four minutes. If you follow me there. All right, let me see if I can put that in a nice little capsule for you. Maybe I'll write it up on LockedOnJazz.net. 48 minutes of center minutes are going to be divided between Gobert and Favors. Assuming Gobert probably plays 34 of them, Favors is playing somewhere in the range of 14 minutes as the backup center. Favors is probably playing another 14 minutes as the power forward. Put him at 28 minutes a night. Seems like a best way to keep him healthy. Probably Derek might get a bit more, but just call it that. That leaves... For the Jazz, 34 minutes of power forward minutes that need to be covered. Joe Johnson's not playing 34 minutes a night. Johnson will play 22. Jarebko will play 12 or so of those minutes. So those are your stretch four units. Does that? Did that make sense that time? You know that five minutes I just wasted of your time? I could have done just right there like that. My bad. All right. Uh, one news note. Clay Thompson's story is that Clay Thompson... Um, Clay Thompson is saying that he might take a discount with the Warriors because of the fact that he uh, gets such a big TV or shoe contract. Yeah, that's our worst nightmare. And that's unfortunately what's happening in a lot of these major markets is Durant and other guys are getting so much money for their shoe companies that, and the shoe companies making more money by them being in a major market that the player takes a discount, but they actually get more from their shoe company by being in a major market. Does that make sense? It's not great. By the way, I'm looking, I'm on my Facebook page for this show, and it says people also like, and Facebook is wrong. This is Russian interference. Um, people also like Jazz Nation. That's true. Good little jazz community with a lot of people there. Good shout out to them. The Ringer, that's probably true. And Gordon Hayward, that's not true. People do not like that anymore. I promise you that. That is Russian fake news interference on my Facebook. Okay. Let's get to your questions today on the program. Uh, Tyler Kenny says, thanks for putting up the play. Keep putting up the play-by-play. It's good. Oh, good, Tyler. Glad you like it. Um, it would be cool if you could get all of yours and Bullers and Thurls and Dennis Radio interviews up on the radio podcast, too. I think people would like that. That's what 1280 The Zone has for you, um, and it's up to that. They, they have those interviews. It's there. Um, You can do it at their website. I don't know why they don't podcast it, honestly. I'm not in control of that. Uh, But that's available for you. So uh, go to 1280 The Zone and do that, and uh, we'll see. Uh, The new radio podcast, Utah Jazz Radio Podcast, on iTunes as well. It should be soon. Keep an eye out for it um, and subscribe. Once I get the link, I'll certainly send it. Can you introduce me to Joe Ingles? Matt Moon. We're going to have to do this. I'm going to have to find some way to do this. Is it possible for Burks to get some of Cephalosha's minutes so he can actually play? I'm not sure he'd be at the three, but maybe he can run some three- or four-wing lineups with Burks in them. I, I, Tyler, I think, we're, I think you're going to see this hodgepodge of things, and it's going to be a lot of what you can defend, not what you can do offensively. You know, Can Alec Burks defend a prime... We're thinking about it all offensively, but can Alec Burks defend primary... Wing scorers who run off a lot of picks—it's not always been his strength—and uh, so he's he would have to be able to do that um, to get those minutes. You know, you're taking Ingles or Cephalosha, or two of our best defenders off the floor, but he's got if he continues to knock down the three and he defends and he doesn't make bad mistakes. I mean, Ab used to make one fatal, one or two fatal turnovers a night where he turned the ball over above the free-throw line. That's an automatic two points the other way. And those were just, I can't even tell you what death that is. He looks so much different, though. So much more under control, so much more immature, so much more interesting when you talk to him about it as well. Kind of a self-understanding uh, of where he is. Very excited for A.B. Uh, what are the things we should look at during the first 10 games of the season from Exum, Rubio, Burke's thoughts? Um, And the first ten are interesting, right? Because we open with four against the kind of other Western Conference teams that everyone projects ahead of us. Uh, One of which I think they're right, Oklahoma City, and the others I'm not sure yet. And then we play Phoenix, the Lakers, Dallas. Three games we should win. One of them's on the road. Home against Portland, home against Toronto at Houston. And then Philly and Miami and Brooklyn at home. So it's a really interesting mix of games. Um, what are the things we should look for? Well, I think you're just trying to see how many easy baskets Rubio creates for other people. A.B. is a continually good decision-making, and Exum is how the Jazz, he can use his first step. Jazz have integrated a few plays into the playbook that, in my opinion, are using are there for Exum, are for Exum to use that first step. That first step is elite. He, he looks good. Again, we haven't played NBA players yet. The, frankly, if our guys don't look good against the teams we just played, we're really screwed. So, like, there's that side of the story, too. We probably should be a tiny bit careful about that. Uh, what are the, your floors and ceilings for our offensive rating or defensive rating? Uh, that is a geeky question. Um, so, I mean, if we just kind of go off last year, Jazz were top three in the league defensively. I, I think there's a chance we could be the number one defensive team in the league. The Warriors... It would be hard to usurp the Warriors uh, in that regard. But let's, you know, if that's you're asking what the ceiling is, my son, who's a ski racer, his coaches kind of have him set their primary goals and then their reach goals. And so um, I think our reach goal would be to be the the number one defensive team in the league. I think that's a stretch. What I would look at more importantly is last year there was a real uh, drop, there was a tier defensively. Where teams were so the Spurs were at 100.9 the Warriors were at 101.1 we then went all the way to 102.7 you know our reach goal would be to be up in that 101 area can we can we make a bit a, a whole point stride defensively to go and be in that top tier frankly we were third but nowhere close to number two uh then the Jazz, the Hawks, and the Heat, which is, by the way, why I think the, everyone's picking the under on the Hawks is a mistake. I think they're going to be great defensively, um, even though they can't score, and they're going to win more games than people think. The, the next tier was kind of the Jazz, the Hawks, the Heat, and then it, it drops a little bit after that. And I think the Jazz at 102.7 last year was their defensive rating you know you'd like to be under 102 so that's that's where you are then if you go to the middle of the pack the, the offense was so much better last year uh, the, the middle of the pack was about 100, a uh point uh, was what and that's where you know if the if the jazz could have their offense be 106 and their defense is 102 well you're now at a four differential that's the last year that's the seventh best team in the NBA you know that's where the clippers and jazz so that's a stretch probably But that's if you can get the defensive rating at a 102, it's elite, 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 even 103, and the offensive rating is a 106, you're one of the seven best teams in the league. Can we be average offensively? I think that's a stretch. You just don't want to fall off the map, right? So you kind of get into that 103, 104, 105 range where you're average. But again, if we're 105 and the defense can get down to 102, you're at 3.0. 3.0 last year was the Cavaliers the regular season differential right the Warriors differential was 12 the Spurs differential was 8 the Rockets was 5 Raptors 5 ours was 4.7 Clippers was 4.5 Celtics 3.1 Cavaliers 2.6 those are the eight best teams in the league can we have a differential that's bigger than two can our defense be if our defense is a 103 last year it was 102.7 okay if our defense is just the same as it was a year ago, and we want to have a differential above two, all we have to do is have an offense of 104.7. That would be the same as the Grizzlies and the Knicks last year, which would be 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, be 30 minus 12, 18th in the league. Can we do that? Can we be night? If we were 20th in the league offensively, We would be a 104.6. You don't want to, if you, if you avoid dropping under 104 and you're 102, you're like a two differential. Like this should be, this may make no sense to you, but if you're a Jazz fan listening to this, this should be really encouraging. Like there were only eight teams in the league last year whose differential was better than two. If the Jazz defense, which was 102.7 last year, can stay right around that, all they've got to be is a 104.7 offensively. They're one of the nine best teams in the league. 104.7 offensively is below average. It's like 18th, 19th in the league. I mean, this is where you should have your optimism on the Jazz. That That's great, great question. Thank you for walking us down that road, Alex. You got me more optimistic about the team than ever. I, I another locked on dot net post. I need to write up because I'm making no sense when I just verbally diarrhea doing it at first. Are you planning on doing pack updates regularly through the season on the pod? When is the first one? Um, I am. I'm actually going to try to uh this weekend, try to work on a pack preview. I don't have a lot of time right now. Um, the pre- this is so crazy. Like just, I know people work real jobs that are hard. This one just takes a lot of time early in the season. Uh, is there anything you take away from the team's perspective in the first two games against non-NBA teams? That's from Tyler Newman, who has done great work for the, on the Jazz blogosphere over the years. Um, yes, AB, I think, is a legitimate takeaway. And the effort to run is a legitimate takeaway. And then any success, I don't know. You think Joel Joel will make the rotation? I don't know if he'll make the team. So let's start there first. I think there's a real battle between Ball and Boy. Whoa, you just went up to the ceiling. Um, I think there's a real challenge between Ball and Boy and Royce O'Neill for a roster spot. That, that tells you how deep we are because both those guys are good. Could you do an episode one of these days about how the coaches get into preparation for the game? Yeah, that'd be a really good idea. I wonder if I... Yes. Yes, I'm going to see if... That's a great idea. Spencer Wixom. Hey, by the way, are you the Spencer Wixom that I see everywhere around on real estate billboards selling like huge major properties so you should be like buying all of us lunch when you sell these things? I see Spencer Wixom, who's like a name in the jazz community, Twitter community. And then I see all the time, like I'm driving on Foothill Boulevard the other day, Spencer Wixom. And then I'm driving on the I-15, Spencer Wixom. Like is this the same Spencer Wixom? Uh... Wait a sec, does this mean that everybody listens to this show is not actually in their grandma's basement not doing things? I always love that. I always love when I'm talking to a prospective client and they're like, can you tell me the demographic? And my favorite part about this conversation – oh, I'm in trouble here – is the person calling me and talking to me about the demographic of the show inevitably is in control of the advertising for a company or owns the company, right? And yet the implication in their voice while they're discussing this is that anybody who listens to this show must be living in grandma's basement underground and has not seen daylight in seven days. And yet they're listening to the show. And so the fact of the matter is that most of the people who listen to this show are actually important business people in the community, own companies, or are significant employees in companies making major decisions. And so it's hysterical to me that that's actually who most of the people are that listen, but there's still this kind of implication that if you're listening to a podcast. finally, the other day I said to somebody like, I mean, podcast listeners by definition own a smartphone are probably spending a lot of time in their car are mobile and working. And like, there's like all sorts of natural progressions you can take that a podcast listeners actually probably pretty high income doing pretty well and making or young and developing in the business, which you might want. Also, Uh, it's interesting to me. Like, I, I don't know. I always hear that. Maybe it's my insecurities, and trust me, I got plenty of them. Uh, I always hear that when I hear, well, tell me about the demographics of like, I'm like, it's 97% male. It's between these age groups. Yeah, but you know, they're financial. I mean, I understand most people are doing the job, but there's this implication of it in there. All right. That's enough out of that. All right. Um, so, to the real estate mogul, Spencer Wixom, what do you think of Favors' involvement in the offense so far? Is it the lack of shots primarily because of a better look? Uh, Rudy, or is there a reason they haven't used him much? I, it's a great pickup, Spencer. I think it's real. Like I don't know how Derek integrates into this. And what I really think is the key for Derek is can he be a role threat? Again, let's go to the Derek minute thing. If Derek's playing 30 minutes a night, I think 16 of them at the most are as the, with Rudy, and the other 14 are where he's got to be able to put a threat on the rim the same way Rudy is. Or be able to make shots. But you're right. When Rudy's on the floor right now, Derek is not particularly involved in the offense in the opening two games. And that is just going to be, I think, a struggle. Uh, O'Neal seems to be better, more comfortable offensively than Elijah or Johnson ever were. Small- no, he's much better player. Much better player than both Chris Johnson. And that hurts me because I love Chris Johnson. But much better player than Chris Johnson and much better player than... Um... Elijah Millsap can pass, can rebound, can defend in a different manner. Those guys had unique skills. Uh, Royce O'Neill's a well-rounded player. If he makes shots, becomes a rotation player in the NBA. Uh, get to know interviews with Rudy was excellent. I really, I felt really allowed us to get inside the mind of Rudy. Do you believe that Rudy's consistent commitment to improvement was evident? throughout the pre-draft process and eventually led him to draft. Uh, um, he did not have a great pre-draft. He was not strong enough at the time, and so there were a bunch of times where he struggled in pre-draft when he went up against Steven Adams and some of those guys. In our workout, he went up against Gorgie Jang and killed him. And it's interesting just how the world works. Had he worked out against Steven Adams, maybe he doesn't look as good and we don't draft him. Uh, I hope you're liking those get-to-know interviews. I'm you know, I, I, I I'm very fortunate our organization's good enough to me to give me that access. That's the first thing. The second thing is I try to do something creative, like and different, talking to them. And so that was my reading this summer, uh, and I thought it'd be fun to get their insight. And I'm already panicked about what I'm doing next summer. I have no idea, uh, but I hope you've liked those. I think they've been—they're uh, definitely different. No one else is getting them, and no other broadcast, no other broadcaster in the league is doing them. No other broadcaster in the league may be getting the access I'm getting either. Um, so I don't want to act like I'm doing something special. It's really more the organization's openness to you and allowing you to get the opportunity, which is really really cool. Um, let's go to, how do you feel about Rubio's offense so far? I can't evaluate it in this setting. Let's play a real team. And I don't even know if we're really doing that. Let's, let's decide in when we play Minnesota the second time. Let's, let's make our first assumptions in the middle of November. Uh, when will the Jazz... With the Jazz being always in the middle of the pack, how does that new draft rules hurt us? Doesn't that give us a better chance at a higher pick? Yeah, in theory, if we fall out of the playoffs, it won't be this year, but next year, as long as we have Rudy and we have Quinn, I don't think we're going to be a bottom three team anytime soon. So I would say, um, I I would say that, um, you know, that, probably those draft rules help us. I don't like them, but they probably help us. Who has a brighter NBA future? Trey Lyles, Trey Burke, or Ennis Kanter? Well, Trey Burke's not in the league, and I don't know what's going on with him, and I think there's something else going on. I just don't know. It seems strange. He's not even in a camp. Uh, I've always liked Dennis Kanter for what Dennis Kanter is. He's a great offensive player, elite-level rebound scorer around the paint. Um, accept him for his strengths. That's he's got the biggest elite skill. I like Trey Lyles a lot too. He's a great ball handler and playmaker. If he gets the chance out of that position, if he can get his shooting down, uh, I think Trey Lyles could be really good. I've been a big fan of Trey Lyles. It's interesting. I, it's, I like you know. I don't think my opinions actually changed on any three. I was not a Trey Burke guy out of college. Um, it just was just sm- short, not elite athletically. I missed. I was a Michael Carter Williams guy and I missed badly on that. So it's not like I was like it's not like I have some dra- drafting insight. He's just not the kind of guy that I like. That's not my, my cup of tea. Um, it's interesting, by the way. Every scout you talk to in the league, as you get to know them, they all have their thing. Like there's a guy I know really, really well whose his thing is physicality, aggressiveness, and toughness. Like in any conversation, it will always come back to that. I have another friend who it's all offense, spacing, and offense. He was ahead of the game on some of this, so it always just you know it gets to there uh, eventually. Um. Tabo looked good. Is he vocal? I mean, can he be a real member of the uh, mentor for Dante and Mitchell on defense? I I, I can't tell who's vocal on this team, honestly. Uh, But I think some of the mentorship is overblown, and I think some of the other stuff in that regard is simply that you're just, you know, being a role model and doing it correctly. Great questions today. When is the deadline to get Exum and Hood extensions deal? I don't think either of them get done, by the way. Uh, a little bit because the cap hold on on Rodney, the cap hold is so small that it's hard to go get that deal done. And on Exum, the cap hold is big enough that unless he's willing to sign under the cap hold, um, which is a possibility, but I doubt it because they probably want to see what he can do this year. His value is so low right now, you probably want to make sure if you're Dante's representative, you let him play and show flashes and then see if somebody wants to you know, do the Brooklyn Nets want to go in the off season give Dante a huge deal to show that he's their future piece and put us in a real bind. Like, that's, that's a real possibility. Now, they have D'Angelo Russell so probably not. Um, Rodney's the one whose off season is going to be hard. There's five other players who play similar positions to him and I don't know what I would do if I was Rodney. One... Uh, the Jazz, the Jazz go sign him. They lose cap space, um, which is an issue to the Jazz. Two, if the market doesn't seem to be robust, the Jazz don't have a great deal of incentive at doing anything other than matching him in the offseason. And Rodney, you know, I mean, Contavious Caldwell Pope didn't get a deal. So, and then he's back out on the market. Danny Green's on the market. Avery Bradley's on the market. There's another one. It, it's a this Rodney's world is not lining up well for him in the free agent market. Do you think we suffer defensively because we're poor offensively? It's a great question, Jake, and I think it's going to be worth keeping an eye on. Um, You know, there aren't a lot of really bad offensive teams that are good defensively. Is that because they're just bad and young, or is that because of what you just said? Um, It's a great question. Thoughts about the GM survey that came out. I didn't digest it enough, Ian, to comment on it, and I didn't get enough time before the podcast today. My apology. Maybe I'll get it to tomorrow. Hi, Spencer. All right, you're buying lunch. Uh, Me and Michael are attorneys. Just saying. Okay uh i don't think many people like that are into sports um i work for the city oh we're getting everybody's bio i work for the city parks department i think most of us probably have jobs and make decent money uh you think the jazz would make a run at andrew wiggins's offseason if he doesn't sign a contract extension with the t-wolves didn't he just sign i thought he signed um didn't he sign did he not sign yet I thought he signed. No, I guess he's still considering a five-year $148 million offer. He's going to sign. Why? <laughs> um, I thought that deal was done. Who plays more this season, Bradley or Udo? Udo. Shannon says good morning. Now I'm happy. Um, they seem to have Tabo pushing the ball up the floor a lot, and they're having him handle the ball in practice there everyone's pushing there's just an effort to push i get a little nervous when tabo and jonas put the ball on the floor i like their games a lot i get a little nervous when they put the ball on the floor If they don't make it all the way to the rim i'm not always loving what's going to happen i think that's something to keep an eye we've got to avoid turnovers because they're easy points the other way against a non-set defense i think last year against a SIP defense we were the best in the league um let me see if i can find this ryan says How does AB development and health impact the rotation? Who is the most impacted on our team if the Jazz decide to play AB? Well, I think there's two things. Let's be honest. We should have learned this by now. How often is a team actually healthy? Right? I mean, so I think there's that. Like, we probably should just kind of get used to that a little bit. Um, After a made shot last year... Oh, the Jazz were fifth in the league allowing 1.01 points per possession. After a made... Shot. So when we our defense gets set, we are the fifth best in the league. Warriors were one, Atlanta was two, again, Atlanta. San Antonio was three, Memphis was four, Jazz were five. After a defensive rebound, okay, so we miss, the Jazz were the third best. So the question of whether we are, San Antonio was one, Oklahoma City was two. Against, off a turnover, this is where we slid all the way to 10th. By a lot. Miami was 101. Oh, this is why Miami was so good last year. And Detroit, too. It's kind of a weird outlier. One oh, uh, 1.09, league average, was 1.22. And the Jazz allowed about 1.22 points off a uh, turnover last year. Miami was strained. That's, this is an outlier, in my opinion, for Miami. Makes you probably... Um, you, you probably can't believe that they could do that again. But so this is where the Jazz just off turnovers last year defensively slipped considerably. We're league average. We're elite any other way. So you've got to make sure you don't commit those turnovers. All right. Um, I Brian's asking about the All-Star thing. My way I read the All-Star thing, unless I missed that there was some major change, in, unless they're going positionless, um, and I didn't really read it that well, it, I, I still think there's West and East All-Stars. So um, I don't think it impacts who makes the team a great deal. I could be wrong. All right, this has been Locked on Jazz, 37-minute Facebook Live edition. Thanks very much for tuning in. We greatly appreciate it. We, me, myself, my coffee, and my emergency. Thank you. And my nasal spray. I mean, I got it. all. Have a great day. Thanks for tuning in. This is Locked On Jazz. We'll be back with you tomorrow. Tabo Cephalosa is the get to know interview on the Thursday show or the Friday show. And Locked On NBA will have the Western Conference preview number one up here in a little bit. Eastern Conference one's already up. Thanks for tuning in. Go to lockedonjazz.net and see if I ever get anything up today. I doubt it. Don't have time. See you. Bye.